everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily Roundup, wherein we talk about the news of the day completely unscripted. It's normally hosted by our friend David Menzies, who's out of the studio today on very special assignment. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and my co-host joining me today is my friend and colleague, Tamara Ugolini. Tamara, how's it going? Hey, Sheila. Pretty good, thanks. How are you over on the west side? Oh, it's rainy. If it's not fires, it's floods. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's good. You I know, guess you need the, the rains rain. to offset the uh, yeah. fires. Yeah, I guess. We have a nice warm day here in southeastern Ontario. So uh, we have a new air conditioner in the house. So that is uh, just raring to go, which is nice. Oh, we don't need air conditioners here. <laughs> no. We need extra no, heaters. No, um, you know, let's just get the nuts and bolts out of the way and then we'll see how quickly we can move into the news because it's a very, um, as David Menzies would say, packed sausage of a day. Um, and I, I want to see how quickly we can get through these things because with David Menzies, we get to about 30 to 45% of the things on the list that we need to talk about. And I'm curious to see if Tamara and I can race through these things while still doing a good job of uh, doing the news. So um, I'll explain to everybody what we're doing and then we'll just cut to the chase. So as I said, this is the Rebel News Daily Roundup, wherein we talk about the news of the day unscripted. We are currently streaming on Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, and Getter. Um, but if you are watching us on YouTube, might I suggest you migrate over to one of the less censorious platforms like our friends over at Rumble or on Odyssey, because they don't really care what you think <laughs> about things. They don't care about your politics and I don't care about theirs. And that's how it should be. And the beauty of those two platforms is not only do they not care about your politics, they don't discriminate you based on your politics. And they've allowed us to monetize our content over there, unlike YouTube. So if you want to leave us a paid chat, on Rumble, it's called a Rumble Rant. On Odyssey, it's called a Hyper Chat. And that's your way of having your say. It helps us democratize the show and um, it helps us keep the lights on. So Tamara or myself will do our best to address your paid chats towards the end of the show, unless we get a bunch and then we'll sort of address them halfway through. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tamara. What are we talking about first? Well, and I think that, sorry, we forgot to mention that we're also streaming on Twitter, which seems to be the oh. free each platform of our time. So you can also join us over there. If you don't have Twitter, I highly recommend it because it is quite literally the free speech platform. We're not seeing the censorship and the shadow banning that was so prevalent throughout 2020 and 2021. Um, so it's, it's really a great source for news. It's just in general, I often source that before I go anywhere else. Yeah, it's All fun. Right. It's, it's Twitter of 2014 again, which was like the funnest, bestest Twitter. And we're sort of back there. And um, I'm glad I missed it. I forgot how much fun it was. All right. So first and foremost, actually, we're going to get into some Alberta politics, Sheila. So perhaps maybe you want to end up taking the lead because um, we have a clip to share first and foremost about Premier Danielle Smith and her meeting with the federal ministers regarding, I guess, her trying to uphold the I don't know which one of us that quick clip that we have of her. I don't know which one of us is uh, whose uh, Skype connection is breaking up. I think it's Tamara's this time. Um, but yeah, this is my premier, Daniel Smith, reiterating. Oh, no. It's you uh, reiterating um, what she said when she uh, won the election uh, just a few short weeks ago that she was committed to fighting with the feds on the issue of natural resources. So let's. Uh, Go to my premier, Daniel Smith, while Tamara gets her uh, internet connection sorted out. I'll tell you what's different this time. I mean, in the past, whether it was with Pierre Trudeau or any of a successive number of federal politicians, the fight was always how much additional wealth can be extracted from Alberta to benefit Ottawa. That was always what we, the fight was before. We've never faced a government that wants to shut our economy down and wants to shut down our energy industry and wants to phase out our oil and natural gas workers to their own detriment. That's what makes this different, is that the, the aspirations, the ideological aspirations that have been put on the table with targets pulled out of the air by politicians who know nothing about our local environment and how unachievable it is, it's my job to make sure that they understand that it is unachievable, that it does not only harm us, it harms them. 
as I, I mentioned to the prime minister when I spoke with him, I said, when we do well, we actually generate a heck of a lot of federal uh, federal revenue in corporate income taxes and personal income taxes. The federal government has its own issues in trying to get to a balanced budget. Th there is no margin for them in shutting down our economy or shutting down our industry or chasing away investment. And so I'm, a, I'm pretty direct and clear on that. I had that direct conversation with the prime minister several times. I'm going to have that direct conversation with ministers in LeBlanc and Wilkinson today. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to find the areas that, that we can work together because there's such an appetite on the part of our industry to, to be investing in the kind of technologies that they want to see that will reduce emissions. There, sh there should be the ability to have a kumbaya moment. I think that was just your term. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is we, there's a hard line. We're, ju we're just not shutting down our oil and natural gas industry. We're, we're not phasing out our oil and natural gas workers. So I, I'm, I've drawn the line in the sand. I, I put forward our emissions reduction and energy development plan for a reason, because I'm sending the message to Ottawa that we are going to chart our own pathway to meet our, our national commitment of being carbon neutral by 2050, and they've got to come into alignment with us. And I, I think the fact that uh, Minister Wilkinson and Minister LeBlanc are flying out today to meet me is a good sign. I think that uh, they're taking it seriously, and we're, we'll see if we can come up with a working group about how we're going to, to achieve that. I'm very cautious, though, too, because I, uh, I remember, along with everybody else, when uh, the tinkling of the champagne glasses, thinking that we'd had it, that um, when Peter Law, he thought he'd had a deal with, with Pierre Trudeau, and it turned out to be something very, very different than he thought he was agreeing to, and then he spent the rest of his time fighting to make sure that we got our resources back. So I'm not going to be naive about it either. We're going to do, we're gonna be industry-led on this. We're going to make sure that we're always in alignment with what industry says is achievable, what industry is investing in, and we, it is our job to be an advocate for ourselves and industry about how we're going to reach that target in a way that draws investment in rather than pushes it away. I love her for that. I really do <laughs> because she did it in the, in the nicest possible way saying, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're just not. And uh, this comes on the heels of Justin Trudeau's announcement of his just transition plan to just just transition Albertans into unemployment and obscurity and transition the rest of the country into extreme debt and um, economic carnage, because that's what happens to the rest of the country if Alberta doesn't do well. But Daniel Smith basically said, look, we're not doing what you want us to do. And that's the end of it. We're going to do what we do. We're going to give you ideas. If you don't want them, that's great, but we're going to do our own thing. And that makes me very, very happy. Um, makes me kind of sad for the separatist movement because I think what she's doing is cannibalizing it um, and making them sort of irrelevant because she's doing all the things that the separatist sentiment and the separatist movement here in Alberta wanted to address. Like who's going to fight with the feds on issues of our economy and provincial jurisdiction? Well, it sounds like Daniel Smith is. So uh, I, I can't wait to see what she does next. Same. And I wonder too, if uh, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe will kind of join forces with her and maybe they have like a sort of an unofficial mm -hmm. um, coalition where they will push back on some of these radically progressive policies that, as you mentioned, will cannibalize our economy and continue to do so. It's actually kind of hard to remember what it was like in the pre-Trudeau times uh, prior to eight years ago when our economy was doing well. We had strong oil and gas sectors and just the complete decimation of that industry ever since he took reign that is just proliferating now that he, I guess, is is in a way sitting on his high horse now with eight years under his belt thinking, I'm untouchable and I can continue to do whatever it is, whatever it is that is on my agenda and do so unabated because we've seen premiers and namely here in Ontario, uh, Premier Doug Ford, just pats him on the back and follows the status quo without ever raising any sort of contrarian viewpoint or trying to push back. So it's really refreshing to see a Premier doing that and especially coming from an empowered woman. That's I really love to see that. Yeah, me too. You know, you think the left would, but <laughs> but, but they sure hate her. Um, and, you know, getting back to your point about Scott Moe, I, I got to give Saskatchewan credit. They actually have been leading the way on this issue, and Alberta is kind of catching up. They had their version of the Sovereignty Act before we did. They had a, They have an associate minister 
uh, what I could sort of call him the associate minister of fighting with Ottawa, but it's the associate minister of, I forget what it's called, like provincial jurisdiction or provincial autonomy. They have a, an associate minister committed to doing that. And I think for about the last two years. So we're catching up as Albertans were a little bit louder and a little bit more rednecky about it. Well, Saskatchewan is sort of the, the quiet uh, sort of doers on this issue. Um, so there is, a, there is, of course, a strong coalition between Premier Smith and Scott Moe um, in Saskatchewan. But, you know, moreover to Daniel Smith saying, we're going to lead the way on the technology here. Uh, what she's trying to do is prevent that intellectual and technological flight that we saw in Alberta in the dark times of Pierre Elliott Trudeau and the National Energy Program. What we saw was some of our best and brightest oil companies, uh, engineers, smart people, just pack up shop and leave. These things that should have been born in Alberta, these technological advances, they fled to jurisdictions that weren't attacking them and weren't bleeding them dry. And you know, we had we have seen some of that. You know, we've seen uh, during um, Rachel Notley's tenure here in Alberta, just companies fleeing Alberta. Now they're not going out of the oil and gas business; they're going to Texas, <laughs> they're going to Iraq, they're going to safer jurisdictions like Kazakhstan, where you pay the local warlord, and that's easier to do business there than to do business in Justin Trudeau's Canada. So oil and gas isn't going away. Um, the, the technological advancements aren't going away. They're just being born in other places. And Daniel Smith is trying to repatriate those things. Which is a really sad time for Canada, being that we have such a breadth of natural resources at our disposal. We could be energy independent. And yet here we are um, trying to kibosh all of that and go toward this, this idea of a green reset and green infrastructure, which isn't all that green if you look at the way that the actual necessity of mining and the recyclability of these materials, I mean, recycling in and of itself is questionable initiative at best, but <laughs> it's a scam for lack of a better word. <laughs> but uh, these batteries, you know, in 20, 25 years, if they don't explode before that time, they're null and void. They're going to be sitting in a landfill leaching lithium back into the environment. So I don't know how that is seen as being sustainable. Uh, let's move ahead. But, Still on the Alberta yes. front, maybe. Let's talk about the Calgary terrorism suspect allegedly posted TikTok video supporting ISIS. Now, I think that's burying the lead a little bit because, um, yes, of course, he did post a TikTok video supporting ISIS. But um, when we dig down on what he's actually accused of, um, it, it's pretty frightening. And, you know, we were talking in our, our pre-meeting before we went on air the left won't shut up about radical right-wing terrorists and the people in the red MAGA hats or how they're going to kill us all. And, and, but we still have this very real problem of radical Islam kicking around left-wing Antifa maniacs attacking parents in the street for simply objecting to gender ideology or, or really anything that the left objects to. Um, and this, mm -hmm. it should be, huge news this is big big oh and also the terrorism of burning down churches that seems to be a left-wing problem but uh, this should be really huge news i don't think very many people know about this so the man in question calgary terrorism suspect zachariah rita hussein allegedly posted a tiktok video that either knowingly facilitated a terrorist activity or participated in or contributed to the activity of isis or al-qaeda court records show now, let's dig down to what he actually did. Uh, Hussein 20 faces four terrorism-related charges in connection with a May 14th TikTok video and, and the possession or preparation of explosive-making instructions. So IED stuff, um, which is um, pretty scary. But... The left isn't talking about this at all. They don't want to talk about this. They want to talk about how parents are terrorists for showing up at the school board meetings. Of course, it doesn't fit their narrative. And also, it's not just parents that these radical non-parents who are out protesting, I guess, the whole idea that trans rights are human rights um, takes a lot of intellectual fortitude to come up with that slogan but um they're also attacking children so we've seen in right. the recently these school protests where the children are walking out of school um these yeah. adults are slinging slurs at harassing minors 
yeah. for simply holding a contrarian viewpoint. And so that to me speaks volumes as well to the, um, I guess, intellectual capacity of the left and where their values truly are. Uh, if you can attack and harass minor, well, then what kind of stand up member of society really are you? Well, and getting back to the terrorism oh, I think I'm issue. having technological issues again. That's okay. Our, <laughs> the HQ is on. The HQ is on it. But uh, you know, getting back to the terrorism issue, you know, when when they won't shut up about how parents are terrorists, we have real terrorists in Alberta of all places, uh, and it's a real concern. It, how quickly we've forgotten about the uh, 2017 ISIS affiliated attack at the football game where um, a, a police officer was rammed and thrown through the air. Um, and there was an ISIS flag found at the scene. And then dial back two more years, we've got Al-Shabaab, which is like the North African version of ISIS. They issued a terrorism threat against West Edmonton Mall, and it was a high-risk terrorism threat against West, Ed like West Edmonton Mall. That's a major tourist attraction. Um, but again, like the left wants us to believe that these things are not real problems and Christian parents are really the bad guys. Yeah. And who, what, who, what's the name of that terrorist that Trudeau paid out millions of dollars? Um, oh, Omar Cotter. his name is Omar, Omar Cotter. Omar, so Omar as Cotter, I found his, I found his scummy, uh, strip mall that he bought with the money that should have gone to the victims. Um, of uh, his attacks. So um, Christopher Spear and uh, shoot, is the, the second, uh, the blinded Green Beret, his name escapes me. And I'm very sorry about that. I should not remember the name of Omar Cotter and not his victim. But Christopher Spear's widow sued Omar Cotter for tens of millions of dollars. I think it was in a Utah court. She got a judgment against him. But Canadian courts will not enforce the judgment against him. So Justin Trudeau gave a terrorist money for torture. You know what his torture was? Sleeplessness. Um, he wasn't tortured. He was sleepless. I would be sleepless too if I was in uh, Gitmo, but whatever. Um, he takes the money, buys a strip mall in North Edmonton. I found the mall. There it is. Um, I, I found uh, property records of his other properties too. And wouldn't you know it, uh, this really bothers me. Canadians were denied mortgages and financing because they supported the convoy, but Omar Cotter holds a mortgage on his townhouse. You know, like it's, it's uh, astounding to me where the social credit is applied in this country. Well, now he's a landlord too. So he is gaining economic momentum. Thanks I think of to... a daycare. I think there's a daycare oh. in that building, by the way. Yeah. Always. Why is there always, why does there always have to be children involved with these sick weirdos? Um, but yes, as our prime minister a few years later paints freedom oriented, loving Canadians who took to the na nation's capital to express their grievances with really harsh tyrannical COVID restrictions that were going unabated, right? It wasn't like these were temporary restrictions. We were going on two years of having draconian measures implemented on the general population as a whole, no sort of targeted approach. And as soon as Canadians went to the nation's capital to air their grievances after being ignored for the better part of those two years, all of a sudden they're labeled as terrorists, their bank accounts are frozen. They, yep. uh, they're, they essentially faced financial, personal business ruin if they were associated with the convoy. And yet lo and behold, uh, a few years prior, Trudeau's paying out Omar Khadr for actual acts of terrorism. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, just, I think it's the state yeah, of this ahead. country under the liberals. That's <laughs> what it is. It's, you know, they have nothing but sympathy for the devil and good people who just want to live free. Those are the bad guys. And we see it over and over. And it's replicated from the lowest levels of government, the school board, all the way up to the highest levels. This, this is what happens when you get progressives in power. They want ideological conformity and they just won't leave you alone. And I think that's where politics are breaking down these days. You have a whole bunch of people who want to be left alone and a whole bunch of people who won't leave you alone.
And <laughs> that's why you see uh, these protests at the school board meetings that completely transcend politics and ideology and religion. It's people who want to be left alone to live their lives and the absolute maniacs who won't leave them alone. Are my nails chroma keying? I think they are. <laughs> anyway, let's hit an ad break and then uh, we'll move mm -hmm. into a couple of stories out of Manitoba, um, including some election results from last night. We are a secular society. We respect deeply people's rights and freedoms, including freedom of expression, uh, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. And it is unthinkable to me that in a free society, we would legitimize discrimination against citizens based on their religion. My name is Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a farmer, I'm a journalist, I'm an advocate for religious freedom, and I'm a Catholic. And the war on Christianity came for me too. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. So here's the situation. More and more Canadians are getting vaccinated. But like we know, cases in far too many places are far too high. Get vaccinated. And you know what? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train besides vaccinated people and put them at risk. The police came straight to me and he targeted me and he, he, he took his gun of tear gas and he actually shoot me directly in my legs. These measures include operating at 50% capacity, the continuous use of masks, maintaining two meters of physical distance between attendees from different households, no congregational singing. No matter what, God will bring us through. And I said, we will not bow down to your gods. We won't. It was illegal to sing in church. We're, we're going to sing. Ow! That doesn't look like the candidate you thought you knew. Do you know what his crime was? He held services on Sunday. You devils, you evil, wicked people, get out. I don't care what you have to say. Out! And it took me over 30 times. We saw our nation drowning, and we couldn't stand by and watch. Atisa's sermon was interrupted when RCMP sent in the tow truck, prompting him to join the front lines. RCMP moved in, blocked the driveway, prevented anyone from entering the property. Kudos so to you and Key and Simone on the trailer that gave, it just gives me chills each time I watch I it. It's such a great trailer. I, I think it's Kean's greatest work yet. And I don't, I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, <laughs> but I really think that he is making sure that there's an historical record of what the other side of this wants amnesty from. They want us to forgive. Fine. I might eventually uh, exercise my Christian or ideals of forgiveness, but I'm not real good at forgetting. And I don't think anybody should forget because we want to make sure this never happens again. And we're taking that 
documentary on a very special tour of the country, something we've never done before, but we want to bring the documentary to the pastors and congregations who stood up. And so um, if you'd like details, please go to savethechristians.com and see if there's a showing near you. Now, if you're hemming and hawing about whether or not you should uh, buy a ticket, do it right now because our shows always sell out. And then in the week prior, I get nothing but emails from people saying, Sheila, can you help me get tickets? I can't. I can't change the fire code. <laughs> so if you want tickets, please book them right away because um, some of these venues have pretty limited seating capacity. Um, but it's important because we wanted to make it sort of a, a very intimate and in-person event in a lot of venues. And so, like I said, if you want tickets, please Pick one that's close to you, book a showing, I'll see you there. And likewise, I'll probably see you at, you at least some of, a few of the Ontario events. Yeah, um, really I really excited. So. Yeah, I hope so. It's always a good um, time. Well, let's talk about uh, Bernier. I'll let you take the lead here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for anyone who hasn't heard, well, I guess let's source this Toronto Star article that we have. Um, well, the headline says it all. PPC's Maxime Bernier fails in quest to win by-election seat in Manitoba. Um, so we can just scroll here. The People's Party of Canada leader Maxime Bernier failed in his latest quest to win a seat in the House of Commons Monday in one of four by-elections seen as a temperature check on the state of federal politics. And I think this is a good reflection reflection of the fact that there appears to be actual opposition leading in the House of Commons now. So the PPC really gained traction throughout the COVID hysteria, you know, when there's lockdowns and indiscriminate mandates, and we kind of touched on a little bit of that already. And so did that trailer for Church Under Fire. But um, the PPC was really needed during that time as the purveyors of formal opposition. And so when disgraced uh, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole left the party because he was not providing any sort of formal opposition. He was just really uh, cloaked in liberal light. Mm -hmm. Then then you saw that kind of need and necessity for a formal opposition party dissipate somewhat. And so I think that's clear now that the voters have spoken, um, that Maxime Bernier, while he has some really stand-up policies and was really needed, during a time uh, of distress in our country. Um, unfortunately, he's failed to win, I think it's like four elections, whether they be by-elections or primary. Sure. Three, Yeah, sure, in a yeah. row. Um, so the four, the four different storylines highlighted in this article uh, highlighted the challenges, sorry, facing Pierre Polyev as he seeks to guide his conservative party to government and as Justin Trudeau seeks to keep his liberal party in power. And I think that grip on parliament um, is seeing its dying days for the Justin Trudeau liberals who are just clad in um, infringements or you know what's the word conflicts of interest repeatedly yeah. over and over again this government is being investigated or uh, there's there's leaks about their conduct um, any previous time in our parliamentary history you would see great resignations over some of the scandals that the liberals have been embroiled in. And I mean, I guess that speaks for itself that they think that an apology and just moving forward and trying to hide their tracks is enough to keep the voters at bay. But I think Canadians are, are now seeing through that and becoming increasingly upset and starting to air their grievances with this government. Yeah, you know, it's not just an apology. It's also blame sharing from the liberals. Um, I watch this YouTube channel called the Behavior Channel, and they talk about how when people speak, they it, it reveal the language they use or they choose reveals as much about their behavior and their intentions and what they really mean than just their body language. And Justin Trudeau is famous for this. His apology is always a blame share. Like he says, you know, I'm sorry. Um, and this is something that we can all learn something from. No, I don't need to learn anything. I've never groped a journalist before, or, you know, like this is a real learning lesson and I'm sorry that she experienced it differently. Not, I'm sorry that I grabbed this woman. Um, so he does a lot of that. And there's so many scandals with the liberals 
that it feels like you've been watching too many horror movies and then nothing scares you. I feel like we're being desensitized to the nature of the scandals before us because in the good old in the good old days we had resignations over $16 worth of orange juice. Bev Oda, really cool little Japanese MP, she had to resign over $16 worth of orange juice. And we've got Justin Trudeau on Billionaire's Island, uh, potentially um, benefiting from CCP influence in our elections. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to phase anybody because it's like you lose track, I guess, of just how many ethics scandals there have been. I guess that happens when the ethics commissioner starts giving them Roman numerals to label them because there are just so many Trudeau reports. Well, and it's the mainstream media not holding his feet or the liberals' feet to the fire as well. And just moving on to the next story rather than actually continuing to push back and hold government accountable by speaking truth to power. And so uh, we always kind of come back to this, why would you bite the hand that feeds? And so that's what we see these days with the mainstream media. Um, But nonetheless, sad day for the PPC party, I suppose. Um, Bernier failed to secure a seat. And I have been corrected here that yes, it was four elections. So there was this by-election, there was the Toronto by-election and then the 2019 federal election and the 2021 federal election. So that's zero for four. Yeah. And however, you know, strange that he chose this riding to run in. I think maybe, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know what the internal polling said, but maybe this was a, the most winnable PPC Uh, like for the PPC, I'm not sure, but this is such a conservative stronghold. I mean, this is, um, this is, uh, such a conservative stronghold. Uh, it was held by Candace Bergen for literally ever. She's wildly popular with the party, wildly popular in her riding. Um, I, I, I just, I just never saw this as a winnable place for them, but maybe it was the most winnable of the four. Well, and we have some other Manitoba news here as well. Um, And speaking of kind of tying it in with the Church Under Fire documentary as well, uh, this one comes from Global News, where a Manitoba Court of Appeal has dismissed Church's challenge to COVID-19 rules. Uh, So the appeal court says a court of King's bench judge did not err in his analysis that the restrictions were necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and allowable under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Lawyers for the churches argued public health orders in 2020 and 2021 that temporarily closed in-person religious services, then permitted them with caps on attendance, violated the charter. And that's really what happened throughout the COVID hysteria and infringements on the charter are allowed. It's, I think it's section one in there, but they have to be demonstrably justified. And still to this day, I would argue that these restrictions were never demonstrably justified. They were never based in science or evidence, and they completely disregarded all of the previously well-established pandemic response plans that are in place from four times. Uh, why we still don't have those answers, right? Why was that? How are they getting away with it? And when will the courts finally address that situation? Well, and the one thing we're not even talking about is the effectiveness. We have absolutely no evidence that any of this was effective. In fact, we have evidence to the contrary, that these infringements on civil liberties and people's ability to travel or to gather, to worship, to associate. We have no evidence that any of the restrictions on those things prevented the spread of COVID-19. We have no evidence. In fact, we might have some evidence to the contrary, that they were absolutely ineffective and that cloistering people in their homes probably contributed to the spread and to negative outcomes um, on the health impacts of people and to the psychological impacts of people. So I, I don't know how we can continue to say that judges have not erred, that politicians have not erred, because the evidence continues to roll in 
that none of this stuff was actually effective. None of it mitigated anything else. And it was all for naught. And nobody's ever going to apologize for it. But could we quit persecuting the people who were wise enough to say, none of this makes any sense. I'm not doing it. But no, we continue to persecute those people. Anyway, mm-hmm. well, I just pulled up an article quickly, and there was one that was a bit closer to home. Um, but this one comes from Australia, which we saw, I guess Australia was a little bit more totalitarian in their response mm-hmm. than we were here in Canada. But um, yeah, it says that there's a wide range of collateral damage from the COVID lockdowns. And so these were harms. Lockdowns likely caused more harm than benefit, it says, with wide ranging damage that will be felt for years to come a grim new study has found. And that's interesting because the studies are just starting to roll out. Um, We had no idea because this wasn't based in science or evidence, what these restrictions, what the fallout of these restrictions would be. And so now we can finally start to study it and see, especially on children, the, the social isolation and the masking, the inability to see faces, to recognize emotions, to learn oral development, um, that I think will have a ricochet effect for potentially generations to come. And so now we can finally start to trace track and trace that because we have no data to go on prior to 2020, because like I mentioned, all of those previously well-established pandemic response plans were completely disavowed for knee-jerk hysterical reactions. I think there's also some sinister reasons for why they were so coercive with the vaccine mandates. Um, And it's not because they truly believed in the effectiveness of the vaccines, because evidence is rolling out, like redacted documents are starting to roll out that as early as 2021, they knew that the vaccine effectiveness was not all of that they were telling us it was. In fact, if I recall correctly, I had documents from uh, the Canadian government that says they tested for safety, but not necessarily effectiveness. They were taking the manufacturer's word on the effectiveness and Health Canada really didn't care all that much. They just wanted to make sure that they didn't kill you if they stuck this thing in your arm. And I guess that remains to be seen for some people. But um, Uh, I think that's why they wanted to eliminate those control groups. Places like La Crete, Alberta, that's way at the top of the province. It's at the end of the highway and very far from Edmonton and difficult to get to. You know, it's easier to fly into La Crete than it is to drive. That town never closed, never closed. They never forced anybody to adopt a vaccine if they wanted to. They refused to impose a vaccine mandate on their municipal facilities um, churches never limited restrictions. The restaurants never closed. If you wanted to close, fine. They weren't going to make you stay open. Um, but they said, all of this stuff is optional. And if you, and you know what, you want us to do it, come and get us and make us. In fact, the, um, municipal government, uh, stopped oil and gas companies from operating within the Mackenzie County jurisdiction if they had a vaccine mandate. And Mackenzie County is like the size of Belgium and a couple of other countries. Like it's huge and it's oil and gas rich. And they said, forget it. You're not coming. We must, the moral of the story here is we must protect little places like La Crete because they are the, they were proof positive that everybody else got it wrong and they got it right. They reached herd immunity way faster. They didn't have a mass casualty event. Um, and they protected civil liberties. People could, deal with COVID however they wanted without the coercion of the state because there was no state coercion. And because of that, we can see who actually wanted a vaccine versus who took one as a inoculation against uh, travel restrictions, self-isolation and unemployment. And their vaccine uptake was in and around 30%. So if you didn't coerce people, that's the true number of people who actually wanted them. Um, so I think that's why the, the travel restrictions and the vaccine mandates were so harsh is because uh, the powers that be, I really believe, wanted to eliminate the control groups so that there was nothing to prove how wrong they were against. There was, there's no measure if you get rid of the control group. So anyways, thanks to little Lacrete. You're the control group. That sounds amazing. Maybe I need to look into a relocation there. We had a small business actually here and, you know, everyone was labeled as a super spreader if they mm-hmm. didn't 
uphold the COVID hysteria and the the uh, diktats from the COVID regime. And there was one garden center locally in Coburg that had nothing. They didn't do the signage. They didn't do the um, the plastic, pl- the plexiglass shields, you know, that ended yep. up finding that they hindered the airflow instead of uh, prevented any sort yep. of spread or viral transfer through the droplets. Um, and it was really, truly like going, stepping back into time. And uh, so I frequented that garden center and still will prioritize business to them over anywhere else simply because they were just said hard line in the sand. Nope, we're not doing it. And there was never any excess deaths tied to them. They were never targeted by public health. Um, They just silently continued on as they were always. And they're fine. They didn't do anything. And um, so it's interesting to see that, you know, they were never, there was never a a breakout or a super spreader event tied back to this garden center because they didn't have uh, stop COVID-19 signs on their doors. And they didn't make you walk that one direction on the floor because COVID only goes, I guess, counterclockwise. (laughs) I'm not not sure how that works. Uh, Just on the flip side of this, some good news that we saw yesterday. I wrote it up for the website. Um, It's a TDF victory that maybe some courts might be moving in the direction of allowing people to argue that, hey, actually, this wasn't all that effective. So we've got an Ontario doctor um, who is who was suspended because he didn't comply with the 2021 vaccine mandate. He had his hospital privileges suspended by the Chatham-Kent Health Alliance. Um, and so... He's won the right to appeal. He's a surgical assistant. So I guess that makes him more dangerous, I guess, because he could be breathing into the wound, apparently, according to these people. But um, right now, he's allowed to argue about the efficacy of vaccines in preventing the transmission of COVID-19. So I guess this is the actually, I told you so, and I was right argument that the judge is now allowing him to make before the appeals board of his uh, where he, wherein he's appealing the suspension. So he's going to be able to argue about the efficacy of vaccines as to whether or not the vaccine policy was reasonable at the time that they suspended his privileges. So this is good news. I think this is the first time I've actually ever seen somebody now being allowed to say, actually, you guys were wrong hindsight is proving me right. And you don't get to continue to punish me because I saw something you didn't see, which now everybody else might see. It's just so unfortunate that the wheels of justice are so slow turning, right? This is two years and he'll, he's just going to the court of appeal and it'll be, I don't know, I imagine at least six months before it's heard and then a decision is rendered. And in order to get precedence, it just takes so long. And that's the really unfortunate unfolding of all of this is that we can institute these knee-jerk reactions on a whim without any evidence and just implement them full speed ahead at the snap of a finger, but then to try to fight back and oppose it and say it was unconstitutional or it was unwarranted or unjustified. Well, sorry, it's going to take you at least three years to do that. So that's really where a lot of the injustice is. And the, um, what do they say? The crime is in in the uh, sentence or what's that saying there? I have it oh, wrong. Um, the process, the, the punish- process is the punishment. The process is yes. the punishment. You get exactly. put through the ringer for two years just to prove that you actually did nothing wrong. And uh, before we move on, cause we need to do an ad break and then we're, no, we're, we're not even going to get close to touching on all these topics, but I, I just <laughs> want to give a shout out to uh, the democracy fund, the hardworking lawyers at the democracy mm-hmm. fund, because I think this victory would not be possible without them taking on this case at no cost to this doctor because the Democracy Fund is, I think at this point, Canada's largest civil liberties charity. Um, and they work to on civil liberties litigation, but also education. But um, shout out to all the people who continue to donate to the Democracy Fund, because without you and your tax-deductible donations to the Democracy Fund, these small victories are not possible. And, you know, it, it might seem like a small victory, But this changes the entire world for this doctor who just wants to go to work and make people healthy. And it has a knock on effect on other cases. So you got to win the small ones to change the entire system. And that's what our friends at the Democracy Fund are doing. So 
kudos to the Democracy Fund and kudos to the donors to the Democracy Fund. This one's on you. All right, well, let's start to a quick ad break and we'll come back to discuss some digital ID nonsense. Great. <laughs> Progressives across this country are going out of their way to erase Canada's national identity, whether it's cancelling fireworks or cancelling Canada Day altogether. If there's one thing that these folks hate, it's patriotism. So why not support our independent journalism and stick it to the progressives who would love to cancel Canada Day by going to rebelnewsstore.com and purchasing some of our incredible Canada Day themed gear, like this shirt I'm wearing right now. Again, you'll be supporting our important work and you'll be sticking up for Canada's national identity, rejecting progressive cancel culture, and saying no, we are indeed Canadian. Again, go to rebelnewsstore.com. Yeah, you definitely want to head over to Rebel News Store and check out some of our latest designs. We have a lot of new Canada Day designs in there. And right now, actually starting two days ago from July 18th to uh, July 29th, you can get 20% off of our Canada Day gear specifically. So if you just go to that top bar there um, and you click Canada Day, that's all of the Canada Day specific swag. And you will save 20% off of that. Um, you can always use code Tamara10 to save 10% off if you'd rather just save 10% off and give me a little shout out. Uh, but I think 20% off from June 18th to 19th is a better, a more of a steal. I mean, of course, it's always free global shipping, so you never have to worry about that. Um, so if you're looking for some freedom-oriented Canada Day gear, I would urge you to check all of that out. Yeah, and you know what I really like about this? It doesn't necessarily say Canada Day. So you're not relegated to wearing this stuff like three days uh, at the end of June and beginning of July. This is looks good. You can wear it all the time. We're, you know, watching playoff hockey or whatever. Like it, it, it looks good. Like it's not mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, Canada Day. And then like you can't wear that on July 2nd. <laughs> you have to put it away and never wear it again. So I really like that. And if I recall correctly, somebody's working on a Dominion Day shirt. So if you're a prickly pear like David Menzies and refuse to say Canada Day and you're living in before the metric system and, and you only care about Dominion Day, we're putting a shirt in there too. I know we had one last year and I think we're just refreshing it and we're going to stick it in there because, well, we got to we got to stick up for David Menzies and that's, this is his thing. This is a real hobby horse for him. This is, I think that's, the hill he's going to die on. So I was just going to say, him. that's the hill Menzies will die on. <laughs> and yeah, like you yeah. mentioned, there's this fun little Maple Leaf uh, Canada Day or not Canada Day, but Maple Leaf Canada, Canada denim hat. That one in particular, yeah. I just love it. So cute. It just has a little Maple Leaf and uh, it's denim. So it's all the rage these days. Yeah, It's a really nice one. Yeah. That one right there. I love that one. Yeah, that's great. All right. Those. So all right. before we run out of time here, we yeah. um, wanted to bring you this article from Zero Hedge. And uh, it's, well, again, the headline tells you everything you need to know. But the United Nations is planning a digital ID linked to bank accounts. Surprise, surprise. Here comes the social credit score. Um, the UN is planning to introduce a global digital ID system that is linked to individuals' bank accounts. The plan, which is similar to the system developed by the World Economic Forum, I mean, there you are, the globalists collaborate, is outlined in three new policy briefs from the UN, and they're titled A Global Digital Compact, Reform to the International Financial Architecture, and the Future of Outer Space Governance. I wonder if Elon Musk will come into play on that one. But Even the goal if I of the briefs is to advance UN Secretary... I'm just thinking, like, even UN if I Secretary escape the planet, General, uh, they'll get me. <laughs> Go ahead. You're not even safe on Mars, Sheila. I know, I know. Anymore. Yeah, um, if my friends, from the report, if my it says digital early... IDs linked with bank. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Sorry, I think that my internet is freezing once again. Oh, this rural connection. Maybe I need Elon Musk. (laughs) No, well, yeah, I'm just, I was just going to say, even if the aliens come and rescue me from all of this, um, that there's no, there's no safe space from the United Nations. They are even trying to get us off planet. Um, What, like this, what they call it is quite frightening. Officially titled Our common agenda. They're not even trying to hide this stuff. Uh, Gutierrez's vision should be given the green light in September 2024 during an event dubbed the Summit for the Future. When do we get a say in all of this? Like when do when do we get, I don't recall voting for the UN Secretary General's common agenda. When do I get a say in being forced to adopt a social credit system. And if you think for a second the Canadian banks are going to push back on this, you've got another thing coming. Have you looked at your bank lately? It looks like a pride parade barfed on it. These are the people who were didn't push back whatsoever when Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland were like, you know what? We need to freeze these bank accounts. And they're like, okay, boss, no problem. So if you think that you're going to have some sort of protection or buffer by your Canadian financial institution against being involved in some social credit scheme, I think you are sadly mistaken. Yeah, we have the full um, agenda there. You can it, the, the links are great. This whole article hyperlinks directly to everything that they source so that you can dig a little bit deeper if you so please. But the note here that essentially the objective is to have people, devices, and entities all tied up in a connected network that could apparently be centrally administered, administered seemingly by unelected bureaucrats. So that's exactly what you're saying, Sheila. Like, when did I ever elect, for instance, World Health Organization Director General, because this is the exact same thing, just with the UN, uh, Tedros, to govern the health decisions of our supposed sovereign nation? Like, these are unelected bureaucrats who typically aren't even well-trained in the areas that they say are said to be experts in. Um, And we're supposed to be a democracy through checks and balances and voting and elected officials. But more and more, we're seeing that these bureaucrats are being appointed and sent on their way to represent the countries that they work for, all while the actual citizens are being suppressed, really, by these oligarchs globalist oligarchs yeah and there's no escape once they start tying it to biometrics you can't escape from any of this and this is the united nations they openly muse about carbon budgets so what's my carbon budget i live out here in the middle of nowhere with a large vehicle so I can get back and forth to town on treacherous roads and i'm driving kids all over the place sometimes I will go over my carbon budget by Sunday afternoon if the clock resets a Sunday at 12 a.m. So, you know, the, these are the people who also say they already impose this stuff or they're trying to impose this. Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of Canada and uh, Britain as well, he's sort of in charge of their large finance social credit. So part of his scheme as the new, as the climate czar, climate financial czar at the United Nations is to say, okay, how do we force SGD, those social governance goals, uh, onto large corporations? Um, one of the ways they do it is by denying finance and insurance to large oil and gas companies if they want a project. They'll say, actually, that project that is you know, cleared all the approvals of your respecting country and or jurisdiction, the large banks, because they're being leaned on, they're actually not going to finance it. So everything is good to go. Mm -hmm. We just can't give you the money or the insurance to build it because it doesn't reach our climate target. So they're already doing this on a big level. Now they just want to do it to you and they're going to link it to biometrics. And so you don't have a way to opt out. It's very scary. Well, and that there's an Australian bank, actually, one of the um, their financial institutions. I just I'll, I'm going to pull up and share the article here. Um, they will not be approving diesel powered car loans by 2025. This is two years from now. 
um, this particular bank will not fund car loans for new fossil fuel vehicles from 2025 onward. So, you know, this is not conspiracy theory. This is actually happening and being implemented before our eyes. Um, and this whole UN digital ID linked to bank accounts, I mean, this is just one step in the Internet of Things. And if you haven't researched or you don't know what I'm talking about there, um, Google is your friend in this instance. You can quite literally just start typing in and researching the Internet of Things. And that's that we will all be interconnected through an internet of literally all the things, I would argue probably by 2030. Um, it's all being really fast-tracked throughout what um, is being coined by government leaders and bureaucrats alike as the Great Reset. This is par for the course. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I definitely am stepping in that direction more and more all the time. Although I'm a conspiracy um, oracle sometimes when it comes to this stuff. And you know what they can't do to your older model diesel pickup? Turn it off from afar if you've gone mm -hmm. over your carbon budget. And mm -hmm. uh, this, there's a lot of, I think, controls being built in to uh, the internet of things that will include your car um, through electronics that will force you to comply with your carbon budget that is coming your way very, very soon. And not to mention like, so what us rural people were just stranded in our backwoods villages and we can't get to town for milk. Is that what they're going to do to us? Because that's what's going to happen if you don't allow people to buy a reliable fossil fuel car that can go the distance between Fort Saskatchewan and Calgary in the winter. Well, you'll be forced into one of those 15 minute smart cities. Yeah. And I think if we're on YouTube, we have to be a bit careful in our words there. Yeah. A human so, ant farm. I call them. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they want. They just put me in a human ant farmer and stack the, them all up. Yeah. And one of those little sea monkey aquariums where I'll have my little castle and my little grocery store, and my little school, but I'm still in the aquarium with the other brine shrimp. I don't want to live like that. I'm not a brine shrimp. <laughs> Jilla, do you okay. want to talk about this um, on the on the topic of oil and gas, how oh, the yeah. climate alarmists are hypocritical? I think you're going to be assessing and addressing this one later. Yeah, I'm going to write this up later because this is my beat. Uh, climate hypocrisy is my beat. Um, and this is why I often pull the expense records of the people who go to these luxury vacations they call climate change summits like the as they call it the the cops the conference of the parties you'll often see it uh labeled that way but really it's just the un climate summit and they love these things because it's like a week-long shindig where they can just like fly in on luxury planes and then they drive around in luxury limos that they leave idling all day because you got to be climate controlled um and i yeah i saw the the insanity of this firsthand when i was in morocco covering these things and that's why they don't let me back into these things anymore is they would if you got to the conference early in the morning and that's when journalism happens is get there early i would see a water truck come and water the desert to cut the dust so that the fancy delegates wouldn't get dust on their fancy shoes when they went into their disposable climate controlled village where the air conditioning was so high that my nose would run all day and I came home with like an oppressive cold <laughs> that I caught in the Moroccan desert. But they would hold these little seminars inside about how to force municipalities to impose low flow shower heads that don't rinse the soap out of your ha hair or uh, low flush toilets um, as part of the building code to save water because, oh, we've got to save water. And I'm like, you guys, we're in the desert where water is like gold and you're watering the dust because we don't want the fancy people to get um, dusty, the little fancy shoes dusty. And for me, that was like the big, like this, this is all fake. This is everything is fake. They're not going to live this way. They have enough money that they don't have to live this way. They're going to impose this on the rest of us. And here we go from Blacklocks, more of the same. Uh, 25,000 liters of fuel burned to attend a climate talk. Governor General Mary Simon, who is making me dislike the tradition of our 
monarchy more and more every day, burned through almost 25,000 liters of jet fuel to deliver a climate change speak in Finland records show. Simon said the world must act now. The world, just not her, though. Act now to save the planet. Act now when it's most critical to combat climate change at the source, treating both the symptoms and the disease, said Simon. Everyone must help reduce emissions, she said. We cannot ignore how we do things. We cannot ignore that how we do things is just as important as what we do, said Simon. We must collaborate across borders. Simon's February 9th speech in an impronounceable Finnish name wasn't <laughs> city name was entitled Discussion on Climate Change and the Impacts on Livelihoods. So, you know, this, I mean, this is just, it's perfect. It's the Fibonacci sequence of climate change hypocrisy where they are well-kept people who don't actually do anything but give speeches for a living, telling the people who actually make and grow things for a living that we need to cut back and we need to do more while they're taking luxury jets to go to their stupid little conference of hypocrites. It's just perfect. Mary Simon. What does she know about climate change anyway? (laughs) And when they're like, eat the bugs, but we're going to have our, our bacon wrapped filet mignon. And don't mind us if we do on your tax dollars, by the way. Um, Okay, so we're at 201. I'm just going to get through a couple of these chats that we've been given and we'll wrap this up. Uh, Conservative Gen Z gave $15. Thank you very much. Niagara School Board had their gender policies leaked where they say they hide gender transition. There's a school board meeting tonight for the same board. And then there's a link in that comment um, to a leaked document. Tried to download it, but it didn't actually work. But there's this photo. looks like it's a draft, so it would be debated likely at the meeting because it's a draft plan. It's not set in stone. But so many school boards are doing this. Um, They have a policy in place where they keep parents in the dark about gender transition. It's called social transition of children. So when they're pronouns are different than their biological sex. And if the students don't consent to their parents being told about their social transition at school, then the schools will keep the parents in the dark and not inform them that their child is having some psychological struggles with their identity. And that's a whole separate kind of topic here. Oh, we have the draft to, someone got the draft to work in studio. Thanks, Efron or Olivia. Um, So that's there at this link if anyone wants to go check it out. But yeah, this isn't anything new. Uh, Lots of school boards are doing this. It's why parents are becoming increasingly concerned and increasingly outspoken about what these school boards are up to. They're really going rogue. Um, And so we'll actually be revamping our campaign at stopclassroomgrooming.com where you can go as kind of our catch-all for all of our reports on this subject. And it began, I think about eight months ago with the gender identity and sexual orientation solicitation of children through these perverse school surveys, um, oftentimes unbeknownst to the parents and without their explicit consent. So I think the page is revamped already, but we will have a new video coming out later today. And you can sign our petition there. You can also send a form email to your education minister. So previously, This was specific to Ontario, Ontario's education minister, Stephen Lecce, but we've expanded and revamped the campaign. It will now target or I guess um, send out form emails to the education ministers across Canada because this is really becoming an international issue. This isn't specific to one particular province or territory. This is also happening, it seems like, on a global scale. So um, stay tuned for that. And thank you for the tip. Yeah, you know what? If Um, anybody wants to have secrets with my kids that don't involve me, the only acceptable one is a surprise birthday party for me. And I don't like surprise birthday parties. (laughs) Anything other than that, and I'm coming to get you. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. That's grooming. When you have secrets with children Mm -hmm. that they, they can't tell their parents, or if Children are presenting issues. This is the one that really bothers me because if you say that you care about gender diverse kids, then you should be informing their parents because being gender non-conforming and struggling with gender identity puts you at risk of suicidality. So if you are concerned that these kids are in danger of harming themselves, wouldn't you want the eyeballs at home on them? Wouldn't you? 
I guess not, um, because they'd rather have the secret than have the child be safe. We have a similar beat here from Alberta Dawn, who gave $5. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Regarding recent gender in schools protest, a Muslim woman was pushed to the ground by Antifa. Surprise, surprise, right? A week later, hundreds of Muslim men and Christians protested with no aggression from Rainbow Mafia because they were outnumbered. Yeah, and we've got a video from Adam uh, coming up about yes. that. Uh, we've published some snippets of it on social media, but very, very, very heartwarming to see. And the liberals should have been careful what they wished for with <laughs> unfettered migration from social conservative places of the world. They would only vote for the liberals for so long, I think, before they realize that they've been had. So I welcome this new battle. Really good <laughs> I really yeah. do. Yep. Okay. Fraser McBurney, our caps locks lover, gives $5. Uh, call me NDP did it again on Monday. They closed down King Street again. I think he's referring to Hamilton. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that uh, former federal election leader, NDP leader, um, why can I also not think of her name? Words are eluding me today. Uh, she's the mayor now in Hamilton. Um, anyway, it'll come to me. The traffic was backed up. Who is in charge of city planning? They should have done it on Sunday when the street was closed. Sorry, Fraser, I'm not overly familiar with what you're talking yeah. about. Um, but yeah, it sounds like city planning is a little bit of a mess in Hamilton. 15-minute city's problems. It's always going to be like that going forward. They're just going to close off the street if you've had a little bit too much driving. <laughs> They're just going to be like, yep, no, sorry, Fraser, you're in your um, you're in your aquarium for the rest of the day. Sorry. No travel for you. And it's Andrea Horwath. Uh, that's the former <laughs> oh, yes, federal yes, yes, yes. NDP. Yes. Provincial. Uh, now she, yes. because she was disgraced and never got in, uh, she's now the mayor of Hamilton. So congratulations to you and Hamilton. <laughs> Yeah, these people just fail upwards and downwards all over the place, and they never go away. <laughs> it just whichever pop way up the wind like blows. Whack a mole. Yeah, they're like yeah. progressive whack a moles. Okay, uh, we're way over time, although not like <laughs> David and Sheila way over time, which is good. Uh, Tamara, thanks so much for uh, co-hosting with me today. I, I appreciate it. Um, we did our best to stay on topic and get to. Uh, I think we got to a lot. I think we're optimistic. Not everything in the, in the headline, so we're we're yeah, good. That's that's what counts because otherwise I get the emails. Um, so thanks to Mara, uh, thanks to everybody behind the scenes who works in the Toronto office and across the country to make sure the show is ready and clickable for you whenever you want to see it. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. Thanks to, uh, those of you who kicked in a few bucks to keep the lights on. We appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you because we'll never take a penny from Justin Trudeau. And all that is to say, as David Menzies always says, stay sane. <laughs>